This is Dylan FM, a freak music club podcast on Bob Dylan. If you love Dylan, you're in the right place. This season, we're going deep on Time Out of Mind to celebrate its 25th anniversary. Here's your host, Craig Danielov. How did Hibbing High and Dylan's Minnesota upbringing impact Time Out of Mind? We're going to hear about that today and talk with Dr. John Stewart, who is the author of an interesting book called Dylan, Lennon, Marx, and God. But John is also a musician. Initially, he was in the band Sleeper, and he currently plays with The Wedding Present. But he's played on albums by Katie Lang and others. He also has a PhD in music from the University of Southampton and is an active course leader at the British and Irish Modern Music Institute in Brighton. And of course, he's a massive Bob Dylan fan. So we really have everything here. An accomplished musician, a music scholar, a Bob Dylan author, and a huge Dylan fan. John's book compares many aspects of Dylan's work with that of John Lennon and explores the relationship and interplay between them. In addition to the typical musical analysis, John looks at their approach in terms of sociology, evolutionary psychology, and more. The book offers what it calls a comparative biography of the two men. It looks at how they each approached war and protest and how their educational backgrounds impacted their work. It considers their spiritual convictions and takes a general consideration of the role that the world around them played in terms of when and where they were born, and the worldviews that that environment produced, and how all of this manifested in their song. As with our other guests, I asked John to narrow in for this discussion on how the Dylan side of all of that manifests and impacts time out of mind. Following that, we talked for about another half hour elaborating on his themes in the presentation and drifting off to cover other aspects and issues of Bob Dylan. If you're hearing this, you're not yet a premium member, and so you'll hear much but not all of John's presentation. To get the extended version of this podcast with the full discussion as well as the Q&A, please consider joining us as a premium member, which you can do either at freakmusic.club join or now at our substack, which lives at freakmusic.substack.com. Premium members get the extended versions of all of our podcasts, video versions of most, invitations to events, and more, all for as little as $8 per month. And of course, it's member support that makes all of this possible. By the way, even if you're not ready to join, please go sign up for a free subscription at Substack, because we send out a fantastic Bob Dylan news summary with all the important links and everything you need to know about Bob Dylan every Sunday. And now here's our talk with Dr. John Stewart. Thank you very much for um, having me as a, a guest. And uh, I'm uh, Dr. John Stewart, as, as I've been introduced. And my book is Dylan, Lennon, Marx and God, which is based on a, quite a long research project that I did comparing my two favorite songwriters. And I approached it from the perspective of a musician and songwriter and discovered lots of interesting things. Um, Dylan and Lennon did have an interesting uh, quite quite a, a conflicting in some ways, quite a rival relationship, and um, they obviously uh, one of the few sixties artists that wrote songs about each other. 
uh, both in a fairly coded, but also sometimes in a, in a more obvious way. And I explore that in the book. And um, this, this particular chat is going to be about time out of mind and, and how one of the themes from the book relates to that. Um, uh, my favorite moment, probably as a, as a songwriter, when thinking about Bob Dylan is, is, in a, is in a press conference when he was asked, promoting No Mercy, he was asked, uh, why did you write People Don't Live or Die, They Only Float? And he famously replied, because it rhymes with the man in the long back coat. And I like the fact that there's a few examples on Time Out of Mind where some of the rhymes are a little bit obvious, a little bit, um, uh, I guess, sort of signaled um, from the very first line of Lovesick, actually, I think you could argue. I'm walking through streets that are dead, walking with you in my head, as you all know. Uh, and there's also something else that he does, which is on this album, which is quite frequent use of this well-worn heart as the seat of emotions metaphor, which is um, quite a common one in popular music, and one that he really makes a lot of throughout time out of mind. Um, and I discuss that elsewhere in the book, uh, but that's probably for another talk. Uh, what, uh, what, I, what I wanted to discuss in relation to time out of mind today uh, is, is, is Dylan's use of history in his work. And although Dylan may occasionally resort to throwaway lyrics, such as perhaps you could argue the, the coat uh, float rhyme um, and, and some of the ones on Time Out of Mind, he, I don't believe he ever does throwaway album titles. I think they're important to Dylan. And you can tell that because some of them are just so brilliant. Another side of Bob Dylan is a fantastic pun on what records were perceived as in the day and his own approach to his career. Highway 61 Revisited is a meditation on the cultural spine of America. Love and Theft was a title drawn from Eric Lott's academic study of blackface minstrelsy that he was reading at the time. So what about Time Out of Mind? What does that title, what does that album title mean? Well, it, it means time immemorial. It's a period in the past so long ago that our specific knowledge of it has, has, has vanished. Although there may be cultural echoes or items of social significance that still persist in our current world, that's what time out of mind is. And that goes to the heart of the chapter in my book on Bob Dylan and history and his use of the past, which looks at his associations, often, often ignored associations, with an American cultural tradition called transcendentalism. It's largely ignored because many Dylan writers are from Europe and we don't really learn about transcendentalism in Europe. It was a religious literary movement that grew from a Unitarian church in New England in the early and mid 19th century, the 1800s. And it's two, two of its key tenets were individualism and an abiding belief in the power of nature. Um, Transcendentalist writers were ubiquitous in the North American education curriculum during the 1950s when Dylan was at school. And it's almost impossible to conceive that he could have avoided exposure to those beliefs and principles, which would have been familiar to every student of literature. In fact, in Chronicles, Volume 1, he, he memorably writes about visiting New York Public Library to seek out what he called bearded ideologues of high abstraction from the mid-19th century 
who had a particular understanding of America's geography and its religious ideals, which is a very good description of some transcendentalists. Transcendentalists visible in his output include Henry David Thoreau, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Walt Whitman, and another 19th century writer connected to that tradition called Herman Melville. Um, Trust yourself is an Emerson quote. I contain multitudes is a line from Whitman. The final verse of Cross the Green Mountain, a song he wrote for the Civil War movie, Gods and Generals, basically retells one of Whitman's poems come up from the fields father and the influence of melville is clear most of all in bob dylan's 115th dream um which is a song constructed uh, around the metaphor of moby dick um, which has repeated allusions to that story including uh, a wonderful moment in the song when dylan returns to the ship in his dream which is in the pequod in melville's book and there's a parking ticket on the mast which is a modern twist on the gold doubloon that's pinned there in the book by Captain Ahab, which is one of the key metaphors in the original novel, Moby Dick. And 50 years later, in fact, Dylan's Nobel Prize literature acknowledged how, in his words, that theme and all it implies would work its way into more than a few of my songs. So there's lots of hints on, on how Dylan's fascination with individualism and nature uh, appear in his work if you just take a quick look. And in my book, Dylan, Lennon, Marx and God, I draw on an American uh, post-Marxist literary critic called Frederick Jameson, who suggests that one way to think about culture is this three-tiered approach. The first way might be small-scale items, artifacts, individual artifacts. The second tier might be broader collective class interests or group interests. Uh, and then the, the third tier is the grand sweep of human history, what, uh, writing as a Marxist, Jameson uses Marxist term modes of production to describe how society changes largely through its economic base. Um, and I argue that Jameson's first tier of analysis, small artifacts and individual items, is represented by Dylan and the transcendentalist shared enthusiasm for literature. Jameson's second level of analysis, this idea of class discourse, reveals a little bit of Dylan's politics because much like the transcendentalists, he's not interested in class discourse. He almost never writes collectively. Uh, he's not somebody who's in favour of in-group solidarity and collective action. Um, and those ideas were indeed also anathema to the transcendentalists too. Um, much like the transcendentalists, uh, I think Bob Dylan's part of the American liberal tradition that embraces obdurate individualism and self-reliance, which is unusual for most European Dylan fans because you probably grow up in Europe with a, um, a, better, a more kind of European class-based analysis of society. But if you look at his protest songs, they're often stories of individual suffering that are a metaphor for uh, the claims of larger groups, whether it's John Brown or Hattie Carroll or Only a Pawn in Their Game or The Ballad of Hollis Brown. And the, even a lot of his collectively minded protest songs actually use single first-person pronouns. Um, 
when he even when he adapts, we shall be free. The Woody Guthrie and Huddy Ledbetter song that becomes "I shall be free," and "I shall be free" number ten in his case. So it's very much about the individual. He's almost never been involved with any groups. The rare exception possibly being his his conversion to Christianity in the late seventies, and uh, he's often extremely obdurate in his individual most no, individualistic approach. Most notably in Live Aid, uh, when he famously. Um, stood in front of the largest television audience in history and invited people to give money to uh, poor American farmers alongside starving Africans. So that's two ways that the transcendentalists can inform how, how we might think about Bob Dylan. The third way, which, which is going to lead us on to time out of mind, uh, is the grand sweep of human history, the J- Jameson's third tier, modes of production big changes in the economy and society. Um, and this is manifested in Dylan and the Transcendentalists' attachment to nature. Uh, they're b- both very romantic about nature, and they both express visceral misgivings about industry and technological progress. Both of them live through a significant shift in the economic base of society. Um, and in a lot of ways, you can think of their work as articulating anxieties about that change that's going on. Uh, the transcendentalists came of age during North America's first industrial revolution, just at the start of it, and you can you can see their their, their piety towards nature as as a reaction to that, a part of the romantic movement that you saw in in Europe at the same time. Uh, Dylan came of age at the tail end of, of the greatest period of industrial growth that had been known in history at the time, which was the post-war Fordist period, so-called Fordism, 30 years of uninterrupted economic growth in the 50s and 60s and early late, late 40s, 50s, 60s and early 70s. Um, and the, the impact of that were pretty significant too, and you can think of a lot of his music as a response to that. In terms of the transcendentalists, um, Thoreau famously lived in a, 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 a small wooden hermitage at Walden Pond to get close to nature. Dylan writes very much in a Thoreauvian way about his relationship with the environment in Chronicles. I'm going to quote some of that now. In nature, there's a remedy for everything. That's where I'd go hunting for it. I'd find myself on a houseboat a floating mobile home, hoping to hear a voice, nosed upon a protected beach at night in the wilderness, moose, beer, bear, deer, around the elusive timber wolf, calm summer evenings, listening to the call of the loon, thinking things out. That could almost be Thoreau sitting in his, um, in his hut on, on Walden Pond. And Dylan's lyrics are littered with references to nature, time out of mind being no exception, uh, which is seen as a sort of source of instinctive truth and personal integrity. Some of his earliest protest songs, you might think of them as anti-war songs like Let, my die in, Let Me Die in My Footsteps, but it's actually a Thoreauvian pastoral romance. Let me drink from the waters where the mountain streams flood, smell the wildflowers, sleep in your meadows with the green grassy leaves, go out in your country where the land meets the sun, see the craters and canyons and waterfalls run. That's very Thoreauvian, and here Dylan employs 
uh, and elsewhere, including on the time out of mind, images of the sun as a visual metaphor uh, to symbolize hope and a sense of closure. Um, flip side of that, storm clouds are very important to Dylan. He did a painting called Storm Clouds, which you'll be able to see hopefully in this presentation now. Uh, they're, a sign, they're an ominous sign. Um, and there are just dozens of songs that reference this. Uh, Ballad of Donald White, Towering Waves, The Menacing Gale in the Walls of Red Wing Prison, uh, The Winds That Assault Hollis Brown, The Storms That Howl Over the Borderline and Girl from the North Country, The Hail That Muffles the Chimes of Freedom, The Wind That Sings in the Tree Branches of Lay Down Your Weary Tune, and of course, The Hard Rain That Falls in the Hard Rain's Gonna Fall. Blowing in the Wind is probably his most commercially sex successful iteration of this metaphor. And again, this is a very Thoreauvian song. Uh, this isn't Blowing in the Wind. It's a few lines from Thoreau's Walden. Men say they know many things, but lo, they have taken wings, the arts and sciences and a thousand appliances. The wind that blows is all anybody knows. That could be from Blowing in the Wind. Um, but it's not. It's Thoreau. Uh, so this idea of weather is a very, very consistent image throughout Dylan's career. Um, not to belabor the point, but Chronicles describes the slate gray skies and merciless howling winds of his childhood. The first theme time radio hour was weather. The first track aired on it, Muddy Waters, Blow Wind Blow. One of his most recent albums was called Tempest. Uh, there's images of meteorological metaphors throughout rough and rowdy ways too. And the flip side of that is Dylan and the Transcendentalists. Uh, concern about the consequences of industrial progress, the harm to nature, um, as he acknowledged in 1997. Environment affects me a great deal. My music, my songs, they have very little to do with technology. And you can hear this in his recording style, um, particularly actually on Time Out of Mind, uh, but throughout his career. Uh, his formative years in the Midwest were entirely defined, I think you could argue, by the landscapes that he grew up around, the world's biggest open-cast iron ore mine um, that surrounded the town of Hibbing, Minnesota. And he writes uh, very, and has spoken very interestingly about that, again in quite a Thoreauvian way, um, about how the earth is unusual, full of that ore, something is happening that's hard to define, there's a magnetic attraction in the air, a very spiritual quality. Um, and it's interesting to think that the red soil around his hometown ended up as a key raw material in the skyscrapers that overlooked Greenwich Village and the New York City folk revival where Dylan came of age as a, as a songwriter and musician. And it's also in every car, ship, locomotive, uh, railway track and bridge that might carry a steam train that was used to construct America from the 1890s to the 1960s. Uh, and of course, it's in Hibbing High, which was one of America's richest high schools because of the rewards of the local mining company that Dylan sat and learned about transcendentalism from uh, his legendary English teacher, B.J. Rolfson. So this kind of comes in a circle in a way. Um, and I guess I thought it'd be interesting to look at how are there any signs of this in time out of mind? Uh, it's not an album that I concentrate on in the book, but it, if my theory is correct, there ought to be some references within the lyrics to weather, nature, and wind. 
and some of the other themes that I concentrate on in my work. So, um, uh, I do, I do catalog quite a lot of these throughout the book and, uh, they include things like his, his, uh, his concern about industry, um, particularly cars, actually, bizarrely cars and roads are, are, are an interesting case study for Dylan. They're often bad news. When you think about the role of the car in popular music, it's celebrated, um, very frequently, but for Bob, roads and cars are, are often a source of suffering for one reason or another. Uh, and then this idea of the environment offering a moral sort of grounding and an element of certainty and security and hope and um, kind of structure that we can live by. So I'm going to go through some lyrics now and uh, we'll see where they, where they appear. First one being lovesick of course which does indeed have um starts i'm walking through streets that are dead so they there you have we're right back to the start of the presentation i'm walking through streets that are dead dead streets it's 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 a classic dylan metaphor my feet are so tired my brain is so wired and the clouds are weeping so there we have first very first stanza of the song a sort of urban environment, a dead street environment, and a, a comment on that from the weather, the rain. Um, I see lovers in a meadow again, landscapes and nature being used as a as a an opportunity to uh, to shine some goodness on the world. Uh, but it's also threatening, of course, as the song ends. Sometimes the silence can be like the thunder. Sometimes. I feel like I'm being ploughed under, um, which again is an agricultural metaphor when you think about it. Dirt Road Blues is a classic Dylan Road song because it treats the roads as as a source of difficulty, not a, a route to, to liberation. Um, and uh, like a lot of his paintings, which uh, which maybe we can we can show here, the images of roads are often sort of dark and, and threatening. I'm going to walk down that dirt road until my eyes begin to bleed is a classic Dylan Road image. Uh, and it's coupled with this idea that the chains of chains being shattered, which is again is an industrial image. And then he moves that to a, a weather metaphor. I've been looking at my shadow, watching the colours up above. That's, I think, the sunset in the sky maybe. Um, or the changing sun playing across clouds rolling through rain and hail looking for the sunny side of love there's the rain and there's the wind again and he ends up this song with the sun as we saw earlier going to walk down the dirt road till i'm beside the sun as a message of hope so here we can see dylan's most frequently used metaphor right through time out of mind um standing in the doorway has him under the midnight moon uh, riding the midnight train with ice water in his veins, another coupling uh, of technology, tra particularly transport technology, with some kind of disappointment or threat. And then at the end of the song, when the last rays of daylight go down, we have another sunset image in, in the, uh, towards the end of the piece. Um, as a songwriter, you, it's just classic Dylan, this and, and I love it when you can see 
the sort of ideas repeating in a writer's work because you're starting to get a picture of, of how their mind's working in a way trying to get to heaven this like a lot a couple of other songs on time out of mind has some very subtle religious metaphors which i also tackle in the book that's the, the god part of dylan lester and marks and god um trying to get to heaven the air is getting hotter there's a rumbling in the skies straight away straight into the thunder metaphor I've been wading through high muddy water with heat rising in my eyes, more weather, more landscapes, uh, more difficult road stories. I'm walking through the middle of nowhere, trying to get to heaven before they close the door. Um, walking the lonesome valley. Uh, this song also features a couple of those heart as the seat of emotion uh, metaphors that I mentioned earlier. Well, that's all we have time for on this episode, but John's presentation goes on for another five minutes or so, and then we talk about it and Dylan in general for another 30. Here's a little bit of what's in there. I looked at his campaigning or political songs in the 60s, which, which, which very quickly became rooted in, in this kind of individualistic approach rather than the group approach that people in the folk movement at the time wanted him to do there's a great documentary that interviews Robson and he talks about Dylan always sitting down the front and being a very very attentive pupil it was only when he joined the I think it's the Vineyard Church in the, in the late 70s that he starts to become much more of a collective thinker and that lasts for you know two and a half albums or whatever and then he moves back into the the more indiv- individualistic tropes you know, Little Richard, or even Robert Johnson, you know, his whole, which is arguably Dylan's, could have been Dylan's favorite songwriter when he was younger. You know, you can see that kind of, the, the dialogue between tempta- temptation and redemption in Johnson's work, and you, you see it in Dylan too. And I'm not a religious person, but I think an honest approach says Bob either has a, still a strong faith or is someone who's doing a very good impression of someone who still has a strong faith, if you actually look at what he says and the comments he makes. There's not there's not a great deal of, of metaphors about landscape in 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 Lennon's work. And there's way more class. I've made up my mind to give myself to you, I think is an absolute stone cold villain classic and easily my favourite song that he's done for possibly the last 20 years. To hear it all in extended editions of our talks with Time Out of Mind engineer Mark Howard, artist Robin Hitchcock, author Michael Gray, our philosophy of modern song roundtable, and quite a lot more, please consider a premium membership at freakmusic.club. Don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast. It really helps. For bonus episodes and more. Become a member at freakmusic.club slash join. And you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at FMC underscore Dylan. Thanks for listening. 